Cahan is supported in part by Hilltop Broadband. Hilltop Broadband for residential and business wireless internet service. Servicing Salida and Poncha Springs in Chaffee County, as well as areas in Fremont County, Custer County, and more. To experience the Hilltop difference and request new customer information, email info at hilltop-broadband.com or call toll-free 877-783-2889. Cahan is supported in part by Little Red Hen Bakery, located at 302 G Street in downtown Salida. Little Red Hen specializes in hometown fresh-baked bread, bagels, and treats, all made with organic and local ingredients. A full menu, including the wood-fired oven schedule and daily specials, can be found on their Facebook page at Little Red Hen Salida. K-Hen and Little Red Hen, just two hometown chickens working to keep Salida, Salida. Welcome, friends, to another edition of On the Rails with me, your host, Forrest Whitman, here at KHEN 106.9 on your FM dial or anytime as a podcast or on iTunes, and we cover railroad topics. And we have with us today, John Graham. Now, this train that we're sitting in is historic. We're keeping it kind of warm by keeping the old potbelly stove going, and it's, the, the engines are really historic. They're run by our engineer, Rick White. And you, from time to time, you hear Rick say, say something, Rick, so we know you're there. Yeah, I will. Thank you for that intro, Forrest. And uh, this part one of this interview has been very good. And once again, I will reach out to George's fans and always to Forrest's fans. And if you would like to tell us a railroad story, we'd like to hear it. And the best place to start that is info at K-H-E-N. Dot O-R-G. Good old KN Radio. Well, we've been having a fascinating time talking with George Graham about sort of modern day hobo life, which is very different. He records what he's going through. He, he records the good times, the bad times. He is not only married, he's apparently happily married. Well, the old time hobos were not married, as far as we know, or it wasn't mentioned anyway. Well, George, tell, tell us a little more about that now. How have you managed to stay married and continue as a hobo? Well, my wife is very supportive of things that I do like this. We've been married 48 years. So she, you know, we just celebrated our 48th anniversary the other day. And she understands me probably better than I understand myself. <laughs> and so, which probably isn't completely uncommon in the world of relationships and men, you know, we're kind of, I don't know if I want to say we're stupid, but uh, in my case, I'm pretty stupid when it comes to that yeah. stuff. So uh, she's been good enough to support me and, and I've drug her all over the country and all, all kinds of jobs. And I think it's not uncommon that people like me have ADD. And I think that probably uh, translates into the life on the rails a bit and uh, why you have to keep on the move, you know, because it's, it's very soothing to have the scenery rolling by. I've been an engineer in the oil patch. I've been a CEO of a small company that I own 
a good part of. I've developed products. I've been a computer programmer. My last job was an IT director. But the theme of my life and existence is change. As soon as something is mundane, I can't handle it. I I suddenly can't get out of bed to go to work if it's not going to challenge. And it's not necessarily the challenge. It's the difference. It's got to be different when you're not having those changes. So one time I drove a truck semi over the road for four and a half or five years. And man, it didn't pay very well. It was hard work, but I loved it. That scenery just rolling by, you know, you're on your own, you're, you're out there alone. And, and I don't know, it's, it's one of those things that I think there's, there's a couple different kinds of people that ride. There's people that ride because they have to, perhaps that's the only way they're going to be able to get around. But I think most of us have a love of trains and adventure. And when you combine those two things, it, it pretty much explains why somebody would ride the rails. You know, because I, I don't think there's very many people doing it anymore. It may seem like there's more, you know, because of YouTube and that kind of thing, more exposure. Sure. But I see fewer people. Of course, that may be that the trains are twice as long. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Your chances of seeing people are, are cut in half or something, you know. What do they do when a two-mile-long train gets cut in half? They, they've got a problem there. Yeah. The conductor has a, a spare hitch in the locomotive, and he may have to walk that train back to where the brake is and put a new knuckle on. Wow. Uh, but I think typically there's enough support outside of the train now that they have somebody come in a pickup truck if there's room to drive along there. But man, carrying a knuckle for a mile. Oh my God. Oh my God. I couldn't do it. I, I couldn't either. No way. How no much way. does a knuckle weigh? Uh, I think 50 or 60 pounds. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, at least. At oh least they're God. there. Well, I, I did that with a crew once. Did we, yeah, it was a knuckle, I think. Or was it an air hose? I don't remember. But, um, but see, those are the days of the three-man crew. There was I'm back here in the caboose, and I've got my flagman back here with me you're up there in the head end with your engineer you know i mean you've got guys coming from both ends all willing to help carry you know now there's nobody out there but you when i can't imagine you know they're pushing or at least i've heard the rumor they're pushing to go to one man crews i just think that's ridiculous to have one person alone in charge of an entire train like that. I just, that's asking too much. I was going to ask earlier when you were talking about crew changes, uh, part of it was what, how many are in a crew. And then are these crew changes basically, are are they done in towns and yards? Where's that happen? Well, normally it happens in pre-planned places. So there's kind of set crew changes, sort of famous places like, Minot, North Dakota, Glasgow, Montana, Whitefish, Montana. You know, typically the trains would stop there to make their crew or haver. As an example, those are some of the crew changes on the High Line. But nowadays, you know, if the train gets held up, if the crews, I think they get 12 hours. If they hit 12 hours, they shut the train down. Yeah. And you'll see these crew vans. There's several companies that do it, but there's crew vans that are hired to drive crews to and from trains. 
and they'll shuttle a crew wherever that train gets shut down. They'll shuttle a new crew out there and pick up the old crew. And usually that's four people? Two people. Only conductor, conductor and an engineer. That's all wow. there is that's on all, train that's crew. All that, and they're fighting now. Well, they were going to have a strike. I don't know that they can actually have one. That's another whole bad kettle of fish there. But if they had had that strike, the railroads were trying to cut it down to one person. I mean, that's that's just bizarre. One person, 12 hours, pulling a couple hundred cars of high-value equipment. What yeah. all, all to say to their stockholders, man, are we efficient. Look how yeah. efficient we are. We're, we're, we're hardly using any manpower at all. Amtrak certainly found that out on the Northeast uh, after their big wreck with a, with a single guy who I think he'd been on there two, was it two 12 hours? I think two, two of those 12 hours. We don't know what happened, but it's strongly suggested that he just collapsed, ran it in the ditch. And that's hard on the hobos. The hobos <laughs> got to run too. <laughs> you know, I've been pretty, pretty fortunate. I've had a couple trains break down, you know, come apart because of a broken air hose or, you know, whatever, but, but pretty much, uh, you know, I've been pretty lucky. Uh, my trains usually, usually don't get held up too long. Mm. I think 14 hours once in Montana, I sat on a siding. You think just because it's containers that it's a high priority train, but not always. Sometimes those damn containers are empty <laughs> in the train. If it doesn't have to be anywhere or it has extra time to get there, they'll and they need crews, they'll just shut that thing down. And you know, I usually don't care because I'm not normally I'm not in a rush I, I was unless I'm say, going home. From the hobo end, it doesn't matter. From the managers and those guys, it it matters a lot. They're trying to always get it together without hiring enough people. That's the thing I can never understand. You can't cost them that much to have an adequate number of guys on the extra board, I wouldn't think. but I wouldn't think so either, but you know, I'm certainly not an expert. I tend to side with the employees over management. And I because I, that's one of the things I lament is the changes in railroading in my lifetime. Probably the biggest thing is the loss of railroads. You know, like the Milwaukee Road across Montana. I was in Harleton, Montana, uh, not hopping freight trains because this town that was critical to the Milwaukee road and their electrification and everything of that area has no rail tracks at all. Wow. Division point. And there's nothing there now except a engine park, elect one of their electric engines, you know? So yeah, I, I lament those mergers. The Western Pacific is gone. The Southern Pacific. I'm just doing a video on the feather river route. And, mm, nice. uh, you can't, you don't run passenger trains through the most beautiful part of it anymore. And I mean, they, it's pretty, they still go over Donner Pass, but uh, they used to go through the Feather River Canyon right up through Portola. And man, right. the Williams Loop, and I mean, it's gorgeous. It's one yes, of the most beautiful is. lines in the country. And actually, I'll throw this in, George. Um, my sister went to uh, college in Chico, California, and she and her friends used to drive up there quite a ways and hop a freight down through the canyon. And my father worked for the railroad. 
when he found out about that, oh my gosh, she got in trouble. She got <laughs> she in trouble. trouble. Oh man, I bet. I wonder if the railroad police collect, you may find yourself in jail and don't call me. Oh, God. oh yeah, that'd be hard, right? Well, dad, I didn't listen to you. Feather River, though, it is a beautiful, beautiful route and canyon. Oh, gorgeous. Yeah. Absolutely gorgeous. One of my favorites. What are your favorites, George? Now that we're, your life is a hobo there. What? Well, I like uh, that one, um, which I've only done once. I went from Elko down into the Central Valley of California there on what used to be the Western Pacific, but now, of course, it's all Union Pacific. Nevada along there is just beautiful. I think of Nevada as just being this barren desert place, but the Humboldt River, the tracks run along. It's beautiful. And then you hit Portola, California, and then you're along the Feather River. Just fantastic scenery all the way down into Oroville, California. So that's that one. Probably my all-time favorite that I would just like to do until the day I die is riding north out of Dunsmere to Portland or coming the other way, Portland down to Dunsmere along Mount Shasta there. I bet. Uh, it's just yes. incredibly beautiful. And then depending on what time of day, the Cascades, when you get into Oregon, you're going through tunnels and, and there's a switchback where one morning I thought, what the hell? This is, the sun's on the wrong side of the train. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty good with my directions. Yeah. I didn't realize that they, it completely switches back partway through the Cascades and is going the opposite direction of what you would think you would be going as it's looping around mountains and whatnot before you come down into uh, Klamath Falls. All of that beautiful, that whole area is just, so that's, that's probably, I'm not sure if I'd say number one or two or three, just they're all beautiful. And then the, you know, the High Line through Glacier National Park is a must ride but west of Whitefish, you run along the uh, Kootenai or Kootenai. I'm not, I've never known for sure how to pronounce it, but you run along the Kootenai River into Idaho. And it's just another beautiful ride. You go through, uh, I forget the name of the tunnel there, the second longest tunnel in the country, the Flathead Tunnel is on that route. So those are my favorites, but I, I like the Transcon riding the Santa Fe, you're blazingly fast, but you're going through such classic Western desert sure. scenery, you know, sure. you kind of feel like you're back in, back in history a bit. I wish it wasn't BNSF that it was still just Santa Fe. Hey, hey, <laughs> we have a Santa Fe fan here for us. He's a big Santa Fe fan. Yeah. Well, I'm not against the Santa Fe. I, you know, Hey, if you're going to get your, ashes after a funeral being scattered on the transcon and there's a lot to be said for that those trains come through there fast they scatter any ashes to the wind quite quickly now that's not all bad you know arizona i mean it's beautiful going through there the different areas with the red sandstones and you know the classic and then yeah. i see the chief poster in the background there Yes, up yeah. over your shoulder there, you it's know, cheap. but yeah, that was my railroad cheap. as a kid. Yeah. I, I grew up in Wichita, Kansas, and the Santa Fe was the main railroad there. First yeah. passenger train I ever rode was my school mates. We rode from Wichita to Newton, had a picnic, and then rode the afternoon train going the other way back. Wow. And, uh, you know, 1960, I don't know, two, 
or three, probably 1963, I guess, something like that. Yeah, my dad worked for the uh, Santa Fe Railroad and um, watched him. He was in sales, and but kind of started at the bottom as a stenographer and ended up, he, he was a sales guy and he ended up kind of in the top floor of the sales. Yeah. And uh, because of that, the Santa Fe raised me in so many ways. Sure. Yeah, and, that's cool. So where did you live growing up then? Um, I, I lived in Chicago and I lived in Indianapolis and I lived in Memphis. Uh, and all of my sibs were all born in St. Louis. After all those kids were born, he started transferring around and taking every promotion he could get. And he kind of climbed the ladder that way. And then he was in uh, Chicago for a while, West Coast for a while, and then back to Chicago for the end of his career. Raised by a railroad, were you there? Yeah, I was. <laughs> I was. George, you, you, touched, you touched so many hearts with your programs, I think, where you're riding along and all of a sudden say, Oh, yeah. We wrote that on our anniversary. Certainly for my wife and I, that, that touched some, some of those long transcon train trips that made it all happen. What surprises me is the take from people overseas. And I guess I've never thought about it, but the distances and the structure, as much as I lament the fact that there's really only two railroads in the West now, it's still huge distances and wide open country in a lot of places. And they don't have that in a lot of European countries and that. And you can't, much more difficult to ride a freight train in some of those countries than it is in the United States. And so we're pretty lucky in that regard. And I think people from overseas sometimes appreciate it maybe more than- Maybe more than we do. Maybe more than- Oh yeah, I think so. I do think so. I think we are part of that mythology. We truly are. And it's a good mythology. It speaks of uh, what Ralph Waldo Emerson called spiritual self-reliance. By golly, you gotta you gotta keep your spirits up because this is this is the only stretch of rail you're gonna run. You wanna keep it up there, because otherwise, who knows? You might end up in the ditch. Well, have you ever ended up in the ditch, George? Well, not in a train. No, you know. I wouldn't think, no. I'm, you know, I'm certainly, uh, I might've raised hell in the car and gotten carried away a time or two and ended up in a ditch here or there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you mentioned, uh, that we're all kind of ADD and I, I think that's part of it that as we grow up, I know I grew up next to just a obscure little railroad, but in Chicago there, the great Western yards were really our backyard. You know, there was always that sense that, geez, I wonder where that train is going. They've been making it up all afternoon. It's made up. Now it's going to go. It's going to go. wonder what it's going to do. Probably going to go to Seattle. Probably going to go to California. You know, it was yeah, just, that imagination that, you yeah, know, you look but, at those tracks. In fact, once you finally get to the end of some of those, in a way, it's a little disappointing. You know, now oh, you know yeah. where the end is. And George, do you carry maps with you in your backpack or your, your pack? No, I, I don't. I, uh, just use my phone. I've been a rail fan long enough that I know where the transcon goes. And, sure. you know, and almost always the train goes where I think it's going to go. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a couple places where you don't know ever for sure. Like when I'm tried to go to Denver, Colorado a couple months ago, and I ended up in Fort Madison, Iowa. And uh, one time I went, I love Green River, Wyoming. Oh, me too. Uh, 
it's such a cool place to be a rail fan or a hobo, either one. And uh, one morning a train stopped and it was a intermodal. And I'm thinking, oh, there's my hot shot to Chicago. And uh, I got on and later that evening had to climb off in Denver to wasn't going where I thought it was. Well, that's okay. And as you say, today with cell phones and all, you can you can call home. You can say, hey, hey, honey, you thought I was at the Mississippi River. No, that's not where I am. What's so fun about it, too, is that it's one of the few places where the security is not so tight. You can still, just for the hell of it, travel. Whereas air, airports, you have to know where you're going, how long you'll be there, what are you doing there. But, you know, all that. Yeah. You can't just say to the security guys, well, I'd like to see the sunrise over the plains somewhere. <laughs> no, that's that's not going to work. You know, they're not going to let you do that. And that's part of why we have this show on the rails to open up a little bit of that universe to our listeners. And now to your listeners, George, who, who are going to be, I think, clicking on to jumping off off the cliff, you know, following some of your rambles. At least for now, you're still rambling out there. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this year. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm going to ask George oh, yeah. a quick question if he's familiar with DNRGW line that runs basically, I guess, from Canyon City through the Royal Gorge, through our neighborhood of the Arkansas Valley here in yes. Colorado. Yeah, I am familiar with, with that. The last time I was through there, they were, of course, run the gorge train. Sure. The rest of that line looked like it had been just turned into storage. Yeah. You know, so there's strings of coal cars that aren't being used stored all along there. I don't yeah. But yeah, that's a fascinating history in that whole thing. The fight of the Santa Fe and the Denver and Rio Grande. I think they were tearing up each other's tracks or something. I don't remember oh, the yeah. whole story now, but. It comes up from time to time. <laughs> big fight. We, I write for uh, uh, Colorado Central Magazine, and we've done a couple articles now about that rivalry between the, you know, the DNRGW, which, which I still kind of favor. It sort of our local uh, line and try, has tried down through the years to, to give an even break to the farmers and miners and a little bit lower income folks. Yeah. Unlike the uh, Santa Fe that didn't give anybody breaks. It just wanted to keep rolling and in a beautiful, beautiful way. Forrest, we had a little bit too much chat in before we got this show started. We're, so we only have a minute left. A minute? A minute. How can we finish off the whole career of George Graham in one minute? He's got to come back. We're going to get you back. We absolutely right. are going to get you back. And I would uh, certainly be on, on board for that. Oh, on board. Perfect. Because we haven't gotten any of the personal relationship stuff. Not at all. And uh, they're going to throw us off here any second. Yeah. George, do you have any closing closing remarks? I just want like to say thanks, guys. I really enjoyed uh, chatting with you. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Absolutely. Well, all right. I'm going to bank the fire here in the caboose. Going to get the fusee ready. And people say... Only Denver, Rio Grande, Western guys call it a fusee. It's other people call it a flare. We're going to throw that fusee off the back at the count of three and give a big highball. We're ready for a highball so we know we're going. Count it. There goes the fusee in the snow. One, two, three. Highball. 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 
Cahen is sponsored in part by Soulcraft Brewing, Salida's hometown brewery, offering a large selection of traditional and seasonal craft beers. Their spacious patio features cozy fire pit tables for outdoor warmth on chilly days. Fresh food is served daily at the Soul Shack food truck, featuring snacks like wings and pretzels, and full meals like sandwiches, burgers, and a delicious brunch on Sunday. Soulcraft is open daily for happy hour, lunch, and dinner.